Hello and welcome to the ET PhD team podcast, the podcast here to help you with your relationship with food and body by giving you evidence-based techniques to support yourself with a sprinkling of feminism, a dash of dismantling diet culture and a side of vulnerability as we share our own messy lives with you. I'm Emilia, a registered nutritionist and PhD with the sole purpose of making your life happier and healthier. If you love it, please do go wild and share it. And if you're ready for support with our coaching, details are in the show notes. Welcome to episode number 174 of the ETPD Team Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking about relationships and really how our choice in partner can in some way impact our relationships with food and our relationships with our bodies. I very much hope you enjoy it and I'm very, very much looking forward to hearing your feedback. The reason this is a whole podcast is because I asked you on Instagram what you want me to talk about and all of you asked me to talk about relationships and I don't know why. I don't know why you think I'm some sort of relationship guru. You have seen or have rather not seen my love life on social media and my consistent declaration of my past love of red flags I mean, I'm going to go into that a little bit later in the podcast because we don't do red flags anymore we only do green but your relationships your love life your um, attachment styles have quite a lot more to do with your relationship with food than I think that you even realize So often when we do this work around healing our relationship with food, we are focused on ourselves. It can become quite potentially a little bit self-obsessive. You know, we all know those people that start on this kind of quote-unquote healing journey and 10 years down the line, they're still obsessed about this one thing that happened to them when they were eight years old. And it can become quite um, all-encompassing and or all-consuming rather. But there's so much more to this journey than ourselves we don't live in isolation we don't live in this little bubble where it's just us and you know no one is impacting us it's just not the reality of our world we live in a world where we meet people all the time and and for many of us we have significant others or we have children or dependents where we are consistently um, bombarded with other people's energy and other people's challenges and other people's love and connection and so of course it makes sense that these are going to impact us in various ways and you know the kind of cliche boundary work that we talk about all the time is so so important but it doesn't matter how many boundaries you set in this world other people are still going to have an impact on you and that's amazing because life is here to be impacted by other people it's the sole basis of our purpose is connection right but one reason why this is important when it comes to your relationship with food is this idea of co-regulation so co-regulation explains these kind of feelings how these feelings of other people and the behaviors of other people in close proximity to us directly impact how we feel and how we respond to our own emotions the kind of classic definition of co-regulation is the ability to regulate emotions and behaviours to soothe and manage stressing internal sensory input or external situations with the support and direction of a connecting individual. The nervous system of this person that we co-regulate with impacts our own nervous system. And 
when we talk about our nervous system, why this is important is because our nervous system is responsible for our fight or flight response, our fight, flight or freeze response. It's responsible for how we show up day to day. You know, you know, like imagine those days that you're super, super stressed and, you know, you're clumsy, you're dropping everything, you're on the edge of an emotional breakdown for the whole day. That's when we're kind of dysregulated with our nervous system and we're maybe hyper aroused. And on the flip side of that, you may have been in an experience where actually you feel apathetic, your mood is very low, you don't want to get up and go to the gym, you don't want to eat quote unquote healthily. And again, that's a sign of nervous system dysregulation and again can impact our um, habits. And we can only co-regulate or self-regulate. A lot of the work that we talk about with the ETPHD podcast is how you can self-regulate, how you can um, use soothing strategies to help bring yourself back down if you're in that hyper-aroused state, how you can um, set goals and come back to your values if you're maybe in the hypo-aroused state, and how you can kind of work in what we call the window of tolerance, which is this window where we feel like we're thriving, where we're kind of ultimately our best selves and so we can self-regulate like I said or and or we co-regulate and this is where your relationships are very very important specifically that kind of sole core key relationship that you have in your life co-regulation was originally described for the way that parents and children interact but it's it carries through into how we interact as adults Feelings of safety in our relationships are so important. Without it, it can trigger this kind of stress response. It can trigger our fight, flight or freeze response. And that, like I said, these are all signs of dysregulation that can impact our eating habits, short term and long term. When we feel dysregulated is when we can't manage our emotions effectively. We can't regulate our emotions effectively. And we'll often turn to food as a way to try and regulate ourselves or potentially um, try and do this kind of self-regulation instead of doing something potentially more healthful. So we want to make sure that we're in relationships and and co-regulating with people who provide a sense of safety so that we're not being dysregulated by the people around us. So when I was in my early 30s, I was in a relationship that was very emotionally abusive. It was a very, I hate the phrase toxic um, relationship, but it was a very toxic relationship. Um, And at that same time, I was consistently hyper aroused. I wasn't self-regulating properly at all. I was binge eating a lot of the time. I was over exercising. I was working I was building my business and I was also working a full-time job that I loved and I kept making mistakes a lot because I was doing so many things at once. I wasn't taking days off. I was consistently hyper-aroused. And as a result of that, I was consistently disordered with my habits and over-exercising and and binge eating, like I said. I was constantly in this kind of drive or threat system. So... I've spoken before on the podcast about the the kind of threat drive soothe system Gilbert's model of compassion of 
kind of our three key emotional systems. And many of you might be able to relate to this in that most of us spend most of our time in the threat and the drive systems of constantly doing more and more and more and neglecting our soothing system. And as a result of that, when we look for soothing, we don't have any strategies in place or we've not been focused on that for so long, we then turn to food. So at that time in my life, you know, I was in this really emotionally abusive relationship. I was constantly in this drive system, constantly doing, refusing to take any rest. I was hyper aroused. I was constantly in this fight or flight space. And as a result, my habits were dysfunctional. My health was a bit of a mess. And unfortunately, my space at home at that time was not calm and it was not safe. And it felt, I felt consistently unsafe. And when you think about it like that, how do you expect to recover from any sort of dysfunctional habits when you're in an environment that is so uncertain and feels so unsafe? And yes, like your relationship right now, your partner might not be punching holes in the walls and, you know, being abusive towards you. But your partner might be coming home every day super stressed from work and constantly taking it out on you because you are his safe space or her safe space or their safe space to do that. And if you're constantly having arguments with your partner or you just don't feel like your emotions are safe with that person, then you're constantly again in this state of um, dysregulation. And it doesn't matter how many boundaries you put in place. If you if you are kind of co-regulating with this person who is not self-regulating them, like themselves or they are not showing up for you in a safe way, then you're not going to be able to move through those dysfunctional habits or it's going to be a lot more difficult to move through those dysfunctional habits. And... A lot of the time with our clients, they get new jobs or they get new relationships or they become single and or they, you know, find someone that they want to spend time with. Um, And one of the reasons for that is because they realise actually as they begin to get better at self-regulating, they realise actually how dysregulated their situation is with their significant kind of um, co-regulator so to speak so really I think look at the situation that you have around you and think is this creating feelings of safety for me or do I feel constantly kind of um, spiking into this hyper aroused state all the time to come back from work every day and have feel like I'm just getting stressed on top of stress on top of stress or argument on top of argument or do I not even want to get up in the morning because I just don't want to be around it sometimes with emotionally and especially we choose food instead of dealing with this one of the key reasons that we see people overeat I mean all theories of emotional eating kind of um, combine at one specific spot and that is emotional dysregulation our inability to recognize and respond appropriately to our emotions and where relationships come into this is that if you don't feel fulfilled in your relationship 
if you constantly, you know, are coming home and you feel dysregulated and hyper aroused or you know deep down that this relationship is not supporting you, do you know what is a hell of a lot easier than dealing with that? Avoiding it altogether. And do you know one way that we avoid it? Food. And so really getting curious about your emotional eating and, and the times that that might happen. And on top of that, getting curious about your relationship and how that manifests in your feelings and your emotions, super important. And I know it's uncomfortable because again, donuts taste better than grief and loss feel. You're human being. Let's talk attachment styles because I think with kind of pop culture psychology, most people kind of are aware of what attachment styles are now, but they definitely, definitely get simplified to I am X, Y or Z attachment style and that is why I behave the way that I do. And I think that is um, very toxic because what happens is that we start to identify with a specific attachment style and it becomes a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. The original attachment styles kind of date back to the 1950s and they were originally developed to explain emotional bonding between infants and caregivers. Attachment styles refer to the particular way in which an individual relates to other people and the whole concept involves a person's confidence in the ability of their kind of significant attachment figure um, as a secure base from one that they can kind of freely explore the world. So I have used Emma as an example for, uh, of me having a secure attachment to Emma um, recently. And it's just this idea of having kind of like a backbone like somebody who is there to catch you when you fall, someone as a child, you know, that responds to your needs. So when you cry, they are there. When you're happy, they laugh with you. They're cons- they're consistent, safe um, space. And when we look at securely attached people, securely attached adults tend to hold what we call positive self-image and a positive image of others. So they have both a sense of worthiness and an expectation that other people are generally accepting and responsive. Secure people typically display openness regarding expression emotions and thoughts with others and are comfortable with depending on others for help. They're also, being, they're also comfortable with others depending on them. I would love you to take a second and think, okay, Am I comfortable and open with expression, expressing my emotions? That's why that's so hard to say. Um, I'm comfortable with um, expressing my emotions. I'm comfortable with other people expressing their emotions towards me. The key kicker for I bet at least half of you is I'm comfortable with depending on others for help. How do we feel about that? That is secure. That's what we call a, a secure attachment style. The other attachment styles, I'm just going to run through them because so often we just sort of say, oh, I'm, I'm an avoidant or that sounds like anxious. Like, what does that actually mean? So anxious preoccupied are explains individuals um, who have generally a negative self-image and a positive image of others. So they have this inherent sense of unworthiness and generally evaluate others positively positively. 
So it's kind of like I'm not good enough, but everyone else is. And as a result of that, they kind of strive consistently for self-acceptance by attempting to just gain approval from other people, seeking validation from their relationships. They generally require higher levels of contact and higher levels of intimacy from relationships with others. Avoidant dismissives is uh, demonstrated by adults who hold a positive self-image and a negative image of others. So kind of flipped from the anxious attachment style. They believe that they are good enough, but other people are not. Their internal working model is based on an avoidant attachment usually established during uh, childhood. So people who have avoidant dismissive attachment styles tend to avoid close relationships and intimacy with others in order to remain a sense of independence and invulnerability, our favourite. So people with this kind of avoidant dismissive style tend to have difficulty with intimacy. They very much value being hyper-independent, self-reliant, and they value autonomy. And they kind of deny experiencing any sort of distress uh, distress or quote-unquote negative emotions along like that come with the relationships um they generally don't trust other people hugely and they will express often that they don't see a problem with this um they kind of just downplay that as if it's not an issue Um, obviously can't relate to this one whatsoever I've never ever heard any of these explanations and cannot imagine what that must feel like Um, the final attachment style is fearful avoidant which is also called disorganised so adults with a fearful avoidant attachment style um, hold a negative model of self and a negative model of others so basically everyone is shit Um, they fear intimacy they fear autonomy and similar to the dismissive avoidant, they cope with distancing themselves from um, relationships and from partners. But on top of that, they continue to experience anxiety and neediness um, regarding their partner's love, reliability and trustworthiness. So that one, disorganised, is an absolute treat. You think that you're crap. You generally think that other people are crap. You cope by distancing yourself, but you also feel anxious as hell. Um, If you're disorganised or if you identify with the disorganised attachment style, first of all, I'm very sorry. Uh, Second of all, stuff to work on. There's no kind of, I would say no, no kind of attachment style is better than the other. But realistically, what we are all striving for is this secure attachment style. And... I mean, it makes sense, right? If you think about this as a whole, of course, a higher sense of self, self self-esteem is going to be associated with um, reduced dysfunctional eating habits because a lot of the time we use food to try and um, suppress our low self-esteem or to almost try and build up our self-esteem by being good enough with our diet by being good enough with our bodies and if we think that we can be good enough in all of these ways then we'll feel good enough so if we experience an attachment style that we generally don't feel good enough it's understandable why food may come into that and 
I want to talk about some of the research behind this because there interestingly is a decent amount of research around attachment styles and relationships with food. There was a study published in 2019 that highlighted that higher levels of attachment insecurity, so when I'm talking about insecurity, I'm talking about any of the attachment styles basically that are not secure. So this this paper that was published in 2019 highlighted that higher levels of attachment insecurity are related to greater eating disorder symptoms. The association between insecure attachment and eating disorder severity is probably mediated by affect dysregulation, which is basically, again, emotional dysregulation and perfectionism. So if we want to work on our relationship with food in relation to attachment styles, not only do we want to work on our attachment style, but we want to work on our emotional dysregulation and our drive for perfection. I mean, both very fundamental parts of both the ETPHD method and a healthful overall well-being. We see perfectionist tendencies so often in disordered eating, again, because we're seeking control and perfectionism in our diet as a way to manage feelings of uncertainty. I often wonder what our relationships with food would look like if we all just said and were able to sit with the feelings of uncertainty. I think that's... I think if we could sit with uncertainty and know that uncertainty is okay, collectively, our relationships with food would completely change. As a bit of a side note, research suggests that roughly 70 to 100% of people with anorexia also have an, an insecure attachment style. So I did a post recently and I said, you know, I stopped having casual sex and dating multiple people. Um, not that this was something that I massively did anyway, but I was certainly very, very intentional with um, being less casual in my choices. One reason for that is basically very simply that when we look at heterosexual relationships, the orgasm rate for women for one night stands is 17%. 17%. What are we doing? Would we not just rather be at home with a glass of wine and a stuffed crust pizza and a vibrator? For reference, the orgasm rate for men on one night stands in heterosexual relationships is something like 97%. Um, so, you know, we're really not having a great time here. Those who are, who are avoidant or avoidantly attached are more likely to engage in casual sex as a way to avoid connection and intimacy. It's kind of common sense. Um, the problem is, is when we engage in casual sex and when we date multiple people at once and we're quite um, detached from this, is that we are missing out on these feelings of connection. Connection is a fundamental human need, which if we don't meet that need might manifest in dysfunctional eating habits, body preoccupation or overworking, basically any way that we can ignore the fact that we feel disconnected. And sometimes as a result of that, we then actually start to have more casual sex in order to feel connected. But then we get don't get the connection that we want, we feel detached, and it becomes a little bit of a vicious cycle. People who have anxious attachment styles um, 
can engage in casual sex as a way to seek reassurance. But again, the detached nature of it can trigger feelings of low self-worth, not enoughness, nervous system dysregulation. And remember what I said at the beginning of the podcast, nervous system dysregulation leads to dysfunctional eating habits. I think what's really important too is recognising that casual sex moves us away from developing a secure attachment style. Every time that we engage in casual sex, we're removing the opportunity to connect on a deeper basis with someone. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with it at all. But if you have insecure attachment styles, what this does is it prolongs these insecure traits and as long as we're prolonging these insecure traits, we're increasing our risk of developing and maintaining disordered eating habits. Because we know insecure attachment styles have been consistently linked to disordered eating habits. People with insecure attachment styles are more likely to feel negatively about themselves. They often exhibit poorer emotional regulation strategies and more often turn to food and body to control this. So it's really important that we start to recognise any sort of traits in ourselves that fall within these insecure attachment styles and actively try to move our way out of them. There's, a, there's associations between insecure attachment and higher weight concerns, body dissatisfaction, restrictive eating, binge eating. There was some really cool research published in 2021 in only 200 women in France And it highlighted that women who have high levels of attachment anxiety or avoidance engage in less intuitive eating, partly because they're less less self-compassionate. Which really highlights, one, the importance of self-compassion in supporting our relationship with food. But two, even more importantly, how self-compassion needs to be incorporated if we struggle with insecure attachment styles to our romantic partners. Because remember, if we're looking at kind of the generalised way of eating that tends to be associated with reductions in dysfunctional eating, it's intuitive eating or eating intuitively for want of a better term. So if we have these insecure attachment styles, if we exhibit these traits, we're less likely to be able to eat intuitively and we're probably more likely to be hard on ourselves. What I think what I think is happening is that disordered eating can sometimes be an outward expression of these deeper psychological and emotional issues that often result from insecure attachment styles. And yet we're over here sharing memes about red flags and I hold my hands up and say I absolutely have done that and may well continue to do it again. But we have to take it a little bit more seriously and think, do I really want to fall into this? insecure attachment box is that really helpful for me why does this actually happen like what are the reasons for this above and beyond like connection and feelings of low self-worth for people that have anxious attachment style tendencies they are tend to be prone to heightened feelings of distress and this kind of emotional hunger can lead to overeating or binge cycles And it's kind of intertwined with this negative sense of self. We don't feel like we're worthy. We don't feel like we're worthy of healthful eating. And we want to suppress these low feelings of self-worth. And that can lead to binge cycles. 
On the flip side, um, sometimes we see with people who have avoidant tendencies, they often set high standards for themselves, so they're at high risk of perfectionism. And remember, perfectionism is associated with dysfunctional eating habits. For those who have disorganised attachment styles, if the um, attacher displays more anxious symptoms, they may engage in binging and purging to curb their feelings of distress. Um, and if they fall, fall more onto the avoidant side of things, they might restrict their calorie intake in an attempt to strive for that kind of perfect aesthetic and detach from distressing emotions. So the way that we show up in romantic relationships offer this really unique mirror to say, how do I attach romantically to these people? And what are my traits here? And how could that potentially be impacting our relationship with food? I really love the analogy of disordered eating habits kind of being like this little thread to pull on. And when we pull that thread, we open ourselves up to understanding so much more about ourselves when we are open and curious as to the function of that disordered eating. And I think when it comes to relationships, this is a really, really good example of this, where if you struggle with disordered eating habits and you start to recognise trends in that pull that thread and think okay well one part of this area that I'm one area that I'm going to look at here is my romantic relationships how regulated do I feel in this romantic relationship do I notice any traits in myself that are maybe insecure traits within this romantic relationship and Use your disordered eating as a little bit of a trail to identify what's going on. And on the flip side of that, think about your think about your traits even aside from your disordered eating and think, am I falling into one of these kind of boxes? And am I doing any work to get out of that? That's what we want to do. We want to actively think in situations, what would a secure person do? And this is something that I've personally been working on over the last couple of years, thinking what would a secure person do in this situation? Um, it doesn't feel natural at all, shockingly. Um, but I think the more that we can ask ourselves that question, the more we can become secure in our relationships. And if we can become more secure in our relationships, we're less likely to be dysregulated. We're less likely to struggle with feelings of uncertainty and not enoughness. We're more likely to have this stronger sense of self. And as a result, we're less likely to experience dysfunctional habits and dysregulation and ultimately dysfunctional uh, eating habits. It's really important that you don't put yourself into this box of like, I am an avoidant or I am an anxious person. You can have traits of all different attachment styles, but you don't have to identify them. If you identify with them, if you put yourself in a box, what's going to happen is that you're going to just kind of start to identify and portray this person with an avoidant attachment style and it's very very hard to break out of something when it becomes your identity so let's try not to identify with these things and let's really just think oh I recognize x y and z trait in myself if you struggle with how your relationships with other people are impacting your relationship with food there's a couple of things that are really helpful to do the first is of course manage your boundaries now when you set a boundary you need to have an outcome so many times we say, you know, set a boundary and we say, it's not okay for you to comment on my body. Please don't comment on my body. And then people push it. And then we say, well, 
they've not stuck to, stuck to the boundary that I set them and I'm really resentful. Like you need to have an outcome for that boundary. So if your partner's coming home and they're constantly stressed out and they're taken out on you and that is leading you to feel quite dysregulated and, and again, like hyper aroused, have a conversation when you're chill and say, no, it's totally okay for you to use me as a sounding board for the stressful day that you've had, but it's not okay for you to come home every single day and be angry towards me as a result of that. And if you continue to do that, then I'm not going to be having dinner with you, for example, every night because I don't need to be around that and actively have this uh, outcome for that. You also can manage and reflect on how you feel in your body in response to certain relationship dynamics and people. This one is crucial. Our bodies can pick up on signals before our brains have even caught up. So recently I was on a date and um, the person that I was with said something very red flaggy and the people pleaser in me wanted to say, oh, that's fine. But my body, I had this feeling in my chest, it was like really constrictive feeling in my chest. My body knew, like, step away from this situation. This is not a helpful situation. And that was the secure, uh, securely attached me coming out. And my old avoidant person would be like, ha oh, come to me, I'll have sex with you now that you've told me this. Um, but the, the my body was like, no, 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 this is not good. So reflect on how you feel in your body when you are consistently surrounded by a certain person or when you're going on dates or when you're, you know, with your partner. How does it feel? Does it feel expansive? Do you feel safe? Do you feel relaxed? Or does, does it feel contractive? Do you feel uh, tense, like you're in this kind of fight, flight or freeze mode. Notice how those changes show up in your body because they're signals and they're telling you something. Actively work towards a more secure attachment style. And again, come back to that question. What would a secure person do in this situation? It's all fun and games, sharing memes about red flags, but ultimately your love of red flag bearing people is potentially one of the key reasons that you're struggling with dysfunctional eating habits. Stop taking, it's so easy to say, I am the problem, there's something wrong with me because I am binge eating or I have dysfunctional habits, this is all me. And yes, when you're doing the work, all you can do is focus on yourself and changing the way that you respond to things and changing your boundaries. But ultimately, if you're consistently surrounding yourself with people who trigger you in some way and leave you feeling uncertain then that is something that you have to work on in order to remove your dysfunctional eating habits you can do all the work on yourself in the world but if you're married to an asshole you're really going to struggle to stop and improve your relationship with food didn't put this on the original podcast so excuse the slight difference in sound but I missed out one of the most important points of this whole podcast. And that is what green flags and red flags actually look like, in my personal opinion. I obviously used to joke a lot about red flags and, you know, draping myself in them, red being my favourite colour, seeing only magenta. Um, and, you know, Taylor Swift is my absolute idol and she loves the colour red. So it's unsurprising that... I made a lot of time for that colour. However, I don't make those jokes so much anymore because, to be honest, that's not... I, I don't 
love a red flag now. I genuinely don't. And I can honestly say that red flags have started to give me the ick. One of the most empowering, life-changing quotes I read in a book once, and it's not even wild, you're going to think, well, why, was this. Don't let emotional unavailability turn you on. And it hurt. However, I have very much work to move out of that. But someone asked me on Instagram, like, what are relationship red flags and what are green flags according to you? Um, and again, this is my opinion. Take from it what you will. Red flags, I think. People who say their exes are psychopaths. Like, that's generally not even my opinion. I feel like that's a scientific fact. If someone says to you that their ex is a psychopath, especially if they say multiple exes are psychopaths, you've got a question, what's the common denominator here? For me, a major green flag is when someone says to me, I'm still good friends with my ex, or um, they are very polite and um, kind about their exes. Obviously, there'll be some exceptions there, let's be honest. Um, I once dated a guy once, and I think he said he must have had about three or four psycho exes. And at no point did I think, that's weird. I just thought they, they must have all had issues. But since that relationship has ended, and I, I can look back on that and think, mm, I'm unsure that that may have been not been the case. Other red flags, the more obvious ones, controlling behaviour, gaslighting. When people are inconsistent and unpredictable, this is quite a clear one. I think sometimes when you you bond with someone and it's like an attachment bond, you can feel kind of, you can mistake that for attraction. And sometimes like this inconsistent messaging, this kind of keeping you guessing on your toes thing, that's not a healthful relationship. That's them being inconsistent. That's them being unpredictable. That's them being unsafe. That's your attachment system being triggered. If you don't have the same sort of views about life, the same sort of views about relationship goals, the same sort of values, generally is a bit of a red flag. Not so much them, but more like a relationship red flag. Um, feeling possibly like your self-esteem has plummeted since you've been in your relationship, something to consider. Obviously, love bombing. Love bombing is something that I've experienced myself, and it's it, it's very hard to distinguish when you're in it, when you meet someone and you feel this overwhelming sense of, this person is incredible, I'm in love with the person that they are, I'm so obsessed with them. I definitely think that I used to think that's what it would feel like to meet the one. <laughs> oh, I feel a cringe thing saying that out loud. Um, I definitely did think that, whereas now, the more, what's the right phrase for this, experienced I am with dating, the more I realise actually the most secure relationships that I've been in, however long they have been in, it hasn't felt like that at the beginning at all, and actually it's felt kind of just normal and safe in the beginning and easy. Who knew? Who knew that that would be the case? But love bombing is something that it's hard to see because when you feel that way and they're telling you they love you and like they're kind of throwing all of these really enthusiastic statements at you, they want to see you all the time, that's usually a bit of a red flag and it often comes alongside narcissistic behaviour. Other red flags, abusive behaviour, obviously. Psychological abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse. Another one I definitely think is key is having a tendency to avoid difficult discussions. Now, of course, there are certain people that are very conflict-averse and, and struggle to communicate, but 
ideally you don't like that's not what you want in a partner um and if you have to like you always have to have difficult conversations at points and if someone has a tendency to consistently avoid these then how do you move through them the classic one for me the classic implications that you are too much if you feel that you are too much because you're with someone and and for whatever reason you are getting the messaging that you are too much you they are not enough and i know that's a cliche but you you're not too smart you're not too dressy you're not too casual you're not too outgoing you might be too drunk um but you're not too much and i definitely have been in a relationship before where i was made to feel this way I, I i don't like the phrase made to feel any sort of way but the actions of someone contributed to me feeling in a cer- certain way of feeling like i was trying i was getting ahead of myself they said things like oh get down off your pedestal and that for me ugh, gives me the ick now but at the time i thought oh i'm just maybe i'm maybe i'm thinking too much of myself maybe i'm too i'm being too vocal or maybe i'm being putting too much of myself on social media or too sounding too smart whatever it was and you're not and it's really important that you don't feel that way on the other hand green flags let's run to green flags with our eyes and our arms wide open and maybe our legs green flags are quite obvious i think you feel safe you feel secure they their communication is consistent they check in with you regularly they have empathy and compassion they listen to you when they when you speak they actively listen too, not just listen to respond to tell you about themselves they're willing to be vulnerable and again i think vulnerability is kind of misunderstood um we love vulnerability we don't necessarily love oversharing and also people are not going to be vulnerable within a couple of dates of meeting someone i'm talking about you know longer term relationships you can't expect people to just open up on the first date and to be honest you want someone that that feels that they open up in the right way like with someone that they trust and that's not going to be within a couple of weeks of dating someone um someone who knows what they want like my god oh my god i was in this relationship once and it was like oh he was one foot in one foot out all the time and he would love bomb one minute and then say oh my head's a mess i don't know what i want the next minute and i'm just sat back waiting for them to decide absolutely not we don't do that maybe once off you know i can understand no but we want people that know what they want people that are kind people that treat others well (sighs) again the 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 relationship that i was in once was the abusive relationship that i was in once um he we came out of the shop out of tesco and uh he shouted at someone an unhoused man he shouted at him because he asked him for some money i think and I was so embarrassed and we had an argument about it. And then I obviously let it slip and I thought, that's that's horrific. And why do I stay with this person? But, you know, because I was in this emotionally abusive relationship, that's why. Um, but like a really key example of this is if people are kind to, to wait, waiters and waitresses. Or are they all waiters? Yeah, to waiters. People who just treat, treat, treat people well and, again, have compassion. They're stable I mean, how stable are any of us, let's be honest, but you know what I mean by that. They listen to your needs, they hear you, they see you, and they accommodate your needs most of the time. I don't mean, you know, when you're lying on the sofa and you're like, bring me a pizza. But if you need quality time and you express that well and you communicate that well, 
then they meet that need, etc. And you feel good around them. You don't feel triggered. You don't feel unsafe. You don't feel uncertain. Pretty sure these relationships are, yes, hard work. Most of the time, they're supposed to make you feel good. So that's what I think. I'd be keen to hear if you think, A, I'm wrong, because I could well be wrong. Um, But B, what you think are red flags. I would love to hear that. And that's all. Thanks, bye. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And as always, if you did, please do feel free to like, share, subscribe and review. And if you would like to chat to me, then you can find details of my Instagram in the show notes.